at what age did you come to Christ? And what is it like being married to a pastor? We're gonna roll those two guys together for those who are married to pastors and not James. So let's start off with Katrina. I am not married to a pastor. <laughs> I came to Christ when I was probably about mm, five or six years old. Don't want to keep going. However, I did fall away and I came back when I was older. So not too old, but when I was like teenager, probably 10. That's not a teenager, but anyway. That's awesome. Big sinner, you. Okay. Pastor Meg, would you mind taking a moment to answer this question? Ladies, give her a hand. <laughs> I need help. Okay. A sign, please. Thank oh. you. <laughs> there it is. I was 16 years old when I came to Christ. Um, Passionately fell in love with him and have served him ever since. Uh, what's it like being married to a pastor? Well, sometimes it's like living in a fishbowl. Sometimes he'll ask permission to tell stories and sometimes he doesn't. So I'm sitting in the audience going, oh, okay, well, that's out there. So anyway, it's been awesome. I love it. Excellent, thank you. And Pastor Becca, would you mind answering the same question? I would not at all. I came to know the Lord when I was four years old in our bedroom. Uh, my mother was reading the story of Christ's death to us and talking to us. And I said, ooh, I want him in my heart. And she was like, okay, awesome. No, I wasn't. I was like, no, you're too young. Well, first of all, now we need to explain that this is my mother, for those of you who don't know. She's not a random woman telling me how my life went. She has much say. Would you like to tell it? No, go ahead. Okay. How about if I tell it? You want to? No. Anyways, we're going to move on. And sometimes being married to a pastor is awesome because you use their own messages against them. <laughs> and that's my favorite part. That's amazing. Sign, please. Ladies. Am I allowed to do that? I'm not allowed to do that. No, I'm you not. can do that. You look disappointed. No, you can do whatever okay. you want. Sign. <laughs> Ladies, we all wanna know, what's your favorite movie, Pastor Becca? My favorite movie? There's a lot of them. Um, but while you were sleeping is definitely on the top of the list among others that I cannot think of right now. Pastor Katrina. Pride and Prejudice. I'm a big Jane Austen fan. And Pastor Meg. Uh, every Christmas movie on the planet. And Sleepless in Seattle while you were sleeping. Romantic comedies. Excellent. Well, this is a really... Uh, amazing question. I think women are very powerful, strong, and independent. What is your advice for women who have been brokenhearted and to gain trust again? Any of you can answer. Please. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I've been brokenhearted 
And when you are brokenhearted, um, mine was never from my husband, but you have to be willing to put yourself out there and be vulnerable again, love and accept, uh, and put the past in the past. Otherwise, it will forever haunt you. As you, you. It's hard to move forward in life if you keep letting the past weigh you down. So you have to be willing to let the past be the past and move on. Excellent, thank you. I was just gonna say, similarly, it just, you have to do what it takes to take a step of faith and to begin to trust again. And that always begins with trusting in our Savior. That's the number one step, I believe. So that, because sometimes when we're brokenhearted, sometimes we can be a little bit mad at God and that's okay, because he's big enough to handle it. And sometimes we have to build that trust up again and just fully know that he has our best interest in heart and he will walk with us hand in hand. And so learning to regain that trust in our savior first and then the people follow after that. And you have to do what it takes to get there. You have to put the work in. And um, sometimes that's hard, but if you do it, it's always worth it, so. Excellent, thank you. Um, <laughs> thank you. You got the front table. This is mine right here, right here. What is your greatest blessing and greatest burden of being a leader in ministry? Any of you can answer. <laughs> um, greatest blessing is seeing lives changed, for sure. Um, when you come face to face with somebody who you can see is broken and lost and you begin to see that transformation in them, it is huge and it's very rewarding and it's why we do what we do. And um, the greatest burden for me personally is trying to balance being a mom and being in ministry. That's the hardest thing for me. And I had a kind of a crisis of faith moment when my son was born, my first son. And that was hard for me because I was so used to being and doing everything and being at every event and doing everything. And then all of a sudden I was stuck at home <laughs> being a mom. And I was like, well, this kind of sucks. This baby just cries and wants to suck my boobs every five minutes. Like... <laughs> This is not very rewarding, if you know what I mean. And then Steve's like out the door on missions trips and doing activities that we normally would do together. It was hard for me. It was a process for me to work through. But now I even feel bad even saying that it is a burden, even though it's still a challenge for me and I still have to find balance in that. But um, I have shifted my perspective and the Lord has really helped me to grow through that. And um, knowing that my first ministry is at home with my kids and that is important and it's life-changing. So now I feel bad for my husband when he has to go do ministry and I get to stay at home because we play and have fun and he misses out on that time. So shifting my perspective on that really helped me. Thank you. Thank you, Robin. Well, I think that everyone would agree that the biggest blessing is to see people who are either broken or lost or just have some type of chain, I call it chain, ball and chain around them, and to see how God can just remove that. I mean, it's happened in my own life and it's happened in many people I know. And when you see the first person that, when they come in the door the first time, and then later, it's like this huge transformation and they have a smile and they're happy and they know Jesus, not that they're always happy, but, <laughs> but they know the difference. That has to be the number one thing. I think that the burden is often um, people, um, 
make the choice not to do that. They make a choice. You feed into them, you do what you can do, and then they choose not to accept Christ or they choose not to live in the freedom that God has given them. And that is always very hard to see. You just wanna go and go, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Wake up, splash cold water on them or something. I wanna punch him in the face, but I'm not as spiritual. I'm just gonna say ditto to that. Excellent. Well, this is a question that I think, we actually had this question many times. How do you respond to those that say women should not be pastors? I punch them in the face. <laughs> I throw cold water on them. No, I don't. I don't do that. You smile and you say, I'm sorry that you're wrong. It's not worth engaging, really. You know what I'm saying? Because you know the call that God has placed on your life and you know that it's real. And, and there are people who will struggle with that. And you definitely come against some of the boys club mentality a little bit sometimes. But that's all right, dude. We're paving the way, man. It's all good. Let you just be released and be freed up to be who God has created you to be. And in addition to that, I always go back to the word. And Paul listed so many women who were with him in the ministry, name them. In, an, in a day and age where women didn't count, and so when they even said there was 3,000 you know, men that day, they didn't even count the women. That's not, that number isn't even including the women. Paul named them. The book of 1 John, I think it's 1 John or 3 John, I can't remember now. It's written to the elder lady, and the word elder in the New Testament means pastor. So, you know, I just go to the Word. The Word talks about women in ministry. That book is addressed to the elder lady, so it's a pastor. I'm settled with it. I have no issue with it. And if, you know, I don't know. Sometimes people are stubborn because they want to believe whatever has been cemented in their mind. And so if you mention the Word, it just goes right over their head. And, you know, that's between them and God. And I would just say, even in this audience, I mean, how many of you guys have really been influenced by, maybe they weren't a pastor, but they were a woman, right? And so how many have you been, how many of women have been influenced by women? And so the bottom line is, is that, that women have something to offer. All women have something to offer. You all have something to offer. And so saying that, you know, putting them in a pastor position where they're able to minister, even in a more full way just seems, you know, kind of ridiculous. Excellent. Well, with those answers, we are going to take a commercial break and we'll be right back. And now, back to the show. All right, ladies. You having fun out there? Awesome. Well, the next question I have here is another question that many people asked. What does your quiet time look like with the Lord on a daily basis? For any of you to answer. Um, good days and bad days. Uh, my desire and goal is every day, I, I pray every single day, I have, a, um, I have this prayer list that I, uh, have felt led from the Lord that I've prayed for years 
um, people go on and off and on and off as uh, needs arise. Um, and, I'm, and that is a daily discipline I have kept to. Um, but honestly, I mean, I tr my goal is to read the Word every day and really get in it, but some days you get these calls in the morning or whatever's going on, and by the time I'm done at night, I'm exhausted. So, um, but I try to study a book of the Bible at a time, do it systematically, and instead of just the, you know, hunt and peck method, but um, the Word is life-changing, and it's very, very important. Thank you. Oh, me? Everybody's looking at me. Um, I find daily quiet time in the shower because it's the place my children aren't allowed to be. So for me and small kids at home, that is like my guaranteed place of choice every day, just me and the Lord. And then I have an app that I'm actually reading on my phone right now called She Reads Truth, and it's awesome. And thank, yeah, She Reads Truth. And um, it's a new app that I found, and I love it. And it's a girly version of the Bible, and it's for women, and there's devotionals that go along with it. And so I'm going through that right now. I'm going through two of the studies attached to it. And I find that very helpful because at any point in the day when I find some moments, I can pull that, and I have the Word with me at all times. So that is my method of choice at this moment in time. I think quiet time looks different for me, uh, depends on where I'm at. Uh, sometimes I just need to worship. Sometimes I um, need to, well, I pray, obviously. Um, I do try to do that every morning, and I'm not always successful um, as far as spending specific time, because I've got like a full-time job and another full-time job. And, but um, I can't, my biggest challenge is being really being quiet and just listening because I read the word I'm studying I do it I'm studying right now first Corinthians I'm going through it it's amazing I mean I pick up you know I'm going through different I'm going through the New Testament right now and I'm doing first Corinthians and so I pray God show me something and every single time he does uh, just speaks to me right through his word that's how he usually speaks to me um, but I find the most amazing times that I have when I have time is just to sit and listen and it is so hard for my mind not to like go in like a billion different directions when i try to do that it is so hard because it's like okay you got to do this 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 and, you know i think as women we're very big doers most of us so it's really hard just to soak stop and listen and so i'm really working on that right now excellent all right here's a good one I need your listening ears on. When you give the silent treatment, how long should you hold out? He's not approaching you, you're not approaching him, but you're praying about it. <laughs> That's my favorite question. Okay, I, 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 I'm gonna start. It is my favorite question. I, I gotta start with this. If I gave the silent treatment to my husband, he would be in heaven. <laughs> He would be right there in heaven. So that's not a punishment? <laughs> no, I don't think the silent treatment is a punishment for my husband. <laughs> I have learned, and I just told him this weekend because he took me away for my birthday, which was very sweet. And I told him that, that you know, I look back at our lives and we've been married for a while, uh, 28 years, right? Yeah, 28 years. I, I look back and I think, 
one thing that I wish I had done better was love him better. And part of that was letting him have his space because my husband needs his space. He needs his space and he needs some time when I'm not saying, oh, why don't you do this? Or why don't you do that? And I finally, pretty much, not constantly, <laughs> but I pretty much learned that. But that doesn't answer the question. <laughs> but it was good. That was good. It was good. Um, I have not ever found a lot accomplished through a silent treatment. So I don't. I'm all about results and what works. And um, Gary and I just hash it out. You know, I mean, I'll tell him, you know what you said hurt me or we just talk it out. And so we've always been really good to do that. And we have never in 41 years of marriage had probably longer than, like, because sometimes you need a little space. You're like, you know what? I don't even like you right now. I just need some space. And so, you know, like a couple hours and I'll just go do my own thing and he'll do his own thing. And, but we always come back together, never go to bed mad because that doesn't accomplish anything and just talk it out and share how we felt. And you have to give your spouse the freedom to, that's the painful part, let him say back how he was hurt or wounded and without defending yourself. Because we want to defend ourselves and say, well, you just don't get it because what I really meant was, and just apologize, take the high road. And one thing we've tried to practice throughout our marriage is just apologize because you may not be guilty of that, but you're probably guilty of a whole lot of other things. And so what's the big deal? Just say, you know, I'm sorry and move on. My turn. Um, you're super mature. <laughs> and someday I'll be like you. Sometimes I do use silent treatment. I'm not going to lie to you. And sometimes it's really effective. Because my husband is the type that does not like conflict in any way. So if I am quiet, which I am anyway, like if I, if we get in an argument or a fight, I know it's shocking. I get very withdrawn. So that's how I am anyway. And I, I need that time to process. And my husband's like, he likes to like be in my face and process immediately. And I do not work well that way. So a lot of times accidentally it ends up being silent treatment, but I'm like, dude, back up off my face for two minutes and give me a minute to think, and then we can hash this out. But um, not long, I would say. Like we try to resolve things pretty quickly. Um, it, silent treatment in our house has never lasted days, maybe a couple hours, but never any longer than that because um, I think that it's important to find resolve as quickly as possible. Because the longer you wait, I have found, like the longer I have to, to stew, and the harder it is for me to process and work through it. It's like, okay, let's just, let's work through this as quickly as we possibly can. And um, so that we don't hold on to it for too long. Like, I don't know about you guys, but if I hold on to something too long, then it's even harder for me to work through it. And then I hold on to it for no reason out of stubbornness, just because I'm holding on to it. Cause gosh darn it, I'm not gonna let go of my pride. I think so, it becomes more too, it becomes more. Because then what you do is you start making up all these things in your head, right? Because, because you're thinking, oh my goodness, this, 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 and this, and then you're making it more than it even was. Yeah. Um, but I do believe in taking a, t a minute 
taking however long that minute is, to not approach things in the moment of conflict because it, then it becomes way big. I mean, then it's like you, you bring up things from 10 years ago, right? If you, <laughs> and you say, well, what about this and this and this and this? And so you need to be very focused and you need to make sure that you do have enough time so that you're not reacting just anger, total anger. Very good. Life is really hard. And um, it is easy to lose your fire for ministry, for life, for the Lord. I'm gonna just add on to this question. The question is, how do you regain the fire? But I'd like to know if there was ever a time in your life where you felt like the fire was being like squelched. And what, you, what, what did you do? What was your process to regain that fire in your life for the Lord? For me, it didn't feel like it was being squelched. It felt like somebody was stomping on it and like blowing and like beating it like that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not that dramatic, but I mean, I have been there, you guys. I have been there where you just feel like bone dry and you feel like, God, where the heck are you? <laughs> and um, I did have a moment in my life, and I think I've shared this before with some of you, but. I had a moment in my life where I was in that place and I was like, God, where are you? And he immediately spoke back to me, where are you? And I thought, oh, that sucks. <laughs> That's not exactly what I was looking for, Lord. But when I, whenever I have felt that way and the fire is quelched, it's because, it's because of me. It's not because of anything that God is doing. So when I feel that coming, I take a look and I examine my life and I say, what is where are my priorities right now? What has shifted? What has changed? Where do I need boundaries? Um, you know, what has kind of overtaken my life so that I am not putting God as a priority? Because for me, that's when it happens. When I'm not making God the priority, when I'm not making my relationship with him the top thing, um, that's when I tend to feel distant from him. And I think that's probably true for all of us sitting up here. It's like, when you're not putting God as a priority, you're gonna feel like he is moving away from you when in reality, you're the one moving away from him. And so just making a choice to turn back around, look at him in the face, change your priorities, take a look at your life and really be honest and have people in your life who can be honest with you and say like, hey, I've noticed this change in you, I've noticed this, you know, what are you doing here? And somebody you can talk through those things with because when you just keep it all bottled up inside, it doesn't help you and it doesn't help anybody around you. So, um, you know, digging deeper into the word, praying, all those things are very helpful when I feel that. Thank you. Can you read the question again? <laughs> she talked a long time. Sorry. <laughs> Just kidding. How do, you, how do you regain the fire for, has there ever been a time in your life where you felt like, your fire for the Lord has been kind of... Oh, so it's just well, the Lord and not ministry. That's what ministry, my question was. Yeah. It, ministry, one, yes. I'll take it. Yes. I'll take it. Because um, in 42 years of ministry, there have been a few times where somebody really stumped on my heart bad. And um, I know when I came to know Christ, I was in a church and the pastor's wife was very standoffish, very sweet, uh, always showed up but very walled off. You never got in. And I, I was 16 years old and I thought, she has been hurt. And so she's walled herself off. 
And when I got called into ministry at 16, I promised the Lord I would never do that, that I would always be open and love people no matter what ever happened to me, uh, no matter what people ever did to me, because I didn't want to end up like that. And um, there have been a few times that somebody stomped really, really hard, and I was deeply, deeply wounded. And just, it's through prayer and just telling the Lord. I mean, I sat back in my parking spot crying. You know, God, I told you I would never get that way. But loving people is hard because you make yourself so vulnerable and they can stump on your heart. And I was back there debating whether I should just start walling off. And um, I'm real stubborn. And so I had this little conversation with God in my parking spot, and I have never reneged on a promise. And um, so I said, all right, God, you know, I'll make myself vulnerable again. I'll, I promised you I would not wall off, and so I'm not going to. And so I had to be willing to open up and continue reaching out to people and, you know, just be willing to move forward. And so, yeah, it can be hard. Thank you. Well, inquiring minds want to know, Pastor Meg, are you willing to share some of your recipes sometime in a cookbook? <laughs> sure, I'm an open book. I would be willing to share any recipe anyone wanted. Excellent. Well, with that, we're going to go to another commercial break, and we'll be right back. All right, ladies. And now, back to the show. I just want to say I wish I could wear those $8.99 corduroys. But I know. My thighs. You ever do that going down the oh, hall? Oh, and they were high up. No, good. Right up on yes, your rib cage. Right but now it's kind of nice because it would be a nice little girdle. Like a built-in girdle. All right, ladies. Get, let's get serious. Um, retreat's coming up. Woo! Who's excited about retreat? Rebecca, you're speaking at retreat. We want to know why. Why? Why should I go to retreat? Because I said. <laughs> um, retreat is awesome, ladies. Has, has everybody in this room been to a retreat before? Yes. Has anybody? I'm going to single you out, and that might be rude. Has anybody not been to a retreat before? Don't be scared. Okay. Hi, guys. <laughs> but I'm talking to everybody, but I'm going to look at you. Don't feel bad. Come to retreat. Everybody should come to retreat. Retreat is so much fun. It's an opportunity for you to get to know other women. Um, you build relationships that are lasting. And I think that women would tell you that it is that one of the key places where you can really build some friendships, some deeper relationships with women in the church and get to know him deeper at the same time. We have a great time. Um, Melanie Schultz is our speaker this year. She's amazing. You will love her. And um, it's really an incredible time. And it's local. So if your kids, like, you know, have an asthma attack or something, you're right here. It's all good. Go. I would like to add to that that when Please I do. look back at my own life, the times that I have had the most growth have been those times at retreats or camps or something like that because you have that extended time. You're away from your children because we all know what, you know, if you have kids at home, it's constantly pulling on you and, and, and your husband and, 
you know, it's so it's just concentrated time where you can get away and spend time with the Lord, make friendships, but God really, inter God moves at those retreats. And if you really want life changed and you really want to get close, closer to the Lord, you know, retreats are an amazing tool that God uses. I totally agree. Uh, when, when I asked the women that work with us in GV Women, we went around the table and said, when did you really first start, you know, wanting to be involved? Uh, that doesn't mean you'd have to be involved with GV Women if you come to retreat. But almost every single one of them said, God met me at retreat and changed me. This happened or this happened. People were saved. People got baptized at retreat. People, you know, it was just on and on and on and how God met them at retreat. And I have to say that I was actually called into the ministry at a retreat. So I, near and dear to me, retreats are. And it's a four-star hotel. And ladies, I, I feel like there are women here who do not know what an intimate relationship with, with Jesus looks like. And I will tell you from my own experience that retreat is an amazing place to find that out. That God will, and you will have an encounter with God like nothing else, like you've never had. So if I, there are some of you in this room I know that are probably saying, I just don't know. We're talking about a lot about quiet time and relationship with the Lord. I just don't know what that looks like. You need to come to retreat and see me afterwards and we'll get you registered. All right. On that note. Uh, or I had the worst transitions ever. So what was the very first, what was your very first reaction or emotion when you were called to be a pastor? And have you ever doubted your call? For any of you. Well, I can start there because I just said when I was called. Actually, when I was first called at retreat, I didn't, God didn't say you're going to be a pastor. Um, thank goodness, because I wasn't ready to hear that at that point. When he said, but what he did, and the only way I can explain it, and it may sound kind of hokey, but the only way I can explain it is I literally felt like there was a mantle put on me. And at that time, I really didn't understand that it was like a full-time ministry. And I certainly, if you'd said you're going to be a pastor, I probably would not be coming to this church anymore. <laughs> because I would have really been spooked. But I have to be very honest with you. I was, I, I, and there are people who can attest to this. I was like, why me? And I was crying and saying, oh my goodness, how, I can't do this. I'm not, you know, I'm just not worthy. I can't do it. Um, but through <laughs> lots of uh, uh, faith in me faith in me because of what God can do in me, basically. Um, I've come to this point. And have I doubted that call? I don't know that I would say I, I, I probably would say that not I doubted the call because I know it was God speaking to me. There was absolutely no doubt. Have I doubted that I was able to do it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I always turn back around and I say, well, right, I can't do it, but only you can do it, God. I was called into ministry when I was 16, within a month after getting saved, um, which I had no clue what that meant or what that was going to look like, but I felt a real sense of honor that he would call me, and so you know, that was during that time I made that promise to him and that I would always serve him and never turn back. Um, I've never doubted my call. What I do in ministry doesn't look anything like I thought I would be doing. But it's, when I look back on my life, it's amazing how God equipped me to do what I do. 
And, you know, uh, I just had no idea that this is what I would be doing because I was a woman. I thought for sure that meant I would have to be on the mission field because what else can a woman in ministry do? And so now, you know, when I look back, every job I ever had was training for what I do today. Um, I was 12 and at a youth summer camp um, through the church. And um, I was too young and naive to feel scared. <laughs> because <laughs> I was only 12. So I felt pretty excited that I felt like God was calling me into ministry. And I didn't know exactly what that looked like, but I just knew he was calling me into full-time ministry. And I knew that that was a calling that he placed in my life. And so I came home from camp and I was super excited. And for those of you who don't know if she's my mom, it means Pastor Gary is my dad. I don't know if you put that together yet, but I'm doing it for you. So I went home and I was like, Dad, I feel like God called me into ministry. And I'm thinking like, he's gonna be super excited. Like, and he looked at me and was like, if you can do anything else, do it. And he walked away. And I was like, that was rude. And I did not understand that until I got older. And I realized, and later on we had to talk about it, obviously he didn't just leave me hanging there, but you know, that like when you are called into ministry there, you cannot do anything else because the call is so strong that doing anything else feels very unfulfilling to you. So I understood that. And now looking back, I know why, because there are many times that you wanna run away from that. And when there's hurt and when there's pain and when you're dealing with things and the difficult parts of ministry, if that call is not there, you will tuck your tail and run. And um, I've never doubted my call ever, but I have one time thought about not doing it. <laughs> and, um, but God worked through that in me and really helped me to understand that he called me to serve him and that people were just part of that and that, I, that people were his people and he loves them unconditionally. And so that through him, I have been called to serve them. But people are people and people are going to do weird things that will hurt you and that it's not personal. And so that was a big lesson for me in my life. But that's the only time that I that felt like, mm, maybe not, <laughs> maybe not for me. And it, was, and it was during a difficult time for our family and a lot of hurt and pain that was caused. But um, I'm glad I pushed through and God knew what he was doing and he stuck with me and here we are. <laughs> yes, thank you. This is a personal question. How do I restore my faith after going through a continuous battle with anxiety? And I feel like my prayers aren't being answered and I work so hard to overcome. Well, I think your prayers are always being answered. They're just not answered the way you think they should be. God always hears every prayer. He never forgets a prayer. And so sometimes we think he's not answering because, you know, he didn't give you what you wanted, but sometimes what you wanted is not what you needed. And so, um, you know, and, and if really the best cure for anxiety is prayer and the word. And just regaining that, under having that understanding that, we serve the God of the universe, and there is nobody that you can trust like him. 
And so to lean on him and trust in him and just keep going back to the word, because the enemy of your soul does not want you to trust God. The enemy of your soul wants you to turn your tail and run. And so to just, you know, and, and I believe there's a lot of power in words. God created the world with words. And so sometimes to just outwardly verbalize it and say, no, I am going to trust God. I, I know that God is real and God is answering my prayer, even though I can't see it. Believe me, he is. He is always moving and working on your behalf. And I would just add to that, that, you know, you need other people. Amen. You know, you need other people. And so if you are in a spot where you're anxious or depressed or whatever it might be, you, and it's the hardest time to reach out, but that's when you need to the most. Yes, you need to listen to God. And yes, you need to spend time with him because he can do anything. But other people are, at, are you know, Jesus in skin, right? That's what we're supposed to be. And so sometimes you're going to need to reach out and you're going to need to tell them, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I need. And sometimes you're, you may even, and there are clinical diagnoses that you may need counseling as well. And so don't keep it to yourself. Don't think that I have to come to church and I have to smile and I have to look like everything's okay. Because guess what? We know that everything's not okay because sometimes we come to church and things aren't okay. Things aren't okay. <laughs> you know, we know that. And I can tell you every single person sitting here knows that. And so don't think that you have to come and act like everything's okay when it's not. Because I, I know in my past, things haven't been okay. Even sometimes today, things aren't okay. But I have those people that I can go to and I can say, things aren't okay, you know, and this is why. And I need that. And you need that too. You need other people. And so please, and that's why when I ask, how are you? I mean, how are you? I don't want you to say, oh, I'm fine. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, how are you? Excellent. Thank you. Ladies. We want to know, how did your hubbies propose to you? Aww. Yes, I'll I give remember them time that to long think ago. Since it was so long ago. My friend ago. Katrina. <laughs> you need time to think about it? No. And remember? <laughs> no, I remember. I remember vividly. We were sitting in his car. Rot row scandalous. <laughs> out front of my house. Intrigue. Yeah. <laughs> And um, we'd only been dating like a month. Yeah. And he just said, I love you and I want to marry you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Would you marry me? And you and said? And I said, I'll think about it. No. I said, I said yes. I, I just knew, you know, we were like this kindred spirit. He started out as my brother's friend. And we were, you know, he was at my house all the time. And he was just this big, tall guy that was my brother's friend. And my brother went away to college. And Gary was going to college locally. And he showed up one day, and I was all dressed up for a job interview. And he left, and he's like, whoa, I never noticed her before. And then he kept showing up, even though my brother was gone. <laughs> so anyway, we started dating, and a month later, he proposed. Aww. I wonder that what you would have sweet. done if I had come home after a month of dating Killed Steve, you. though. Killed, yeah, right. I was about to say, that is not something that we want our children to do, really. <laughs> no, thank you. 
For me, um, actually, James proposed to me. We were in his parents' trailer. Super scandal. I know, really. <laughs> yes. And he asked me to marry him, and I laughed. <laughs> I, and he never... You're he, so sensitive, no, Katrina. He still brings that up today. Because it shocked me. I wasn't ready. And when I get shocked, I laugh. So that didn't go over really well with him. But anyway, eventually I said yes, obviously. I feel like I remember there being like toothpaste on a mirror. Yes, that's how I said yes. Well, you should share that part. Okay, sorry. Then a couple of weeks later, because we were living in different places. So a couple of weeks later, um, he came and he went to the restroom, of course. We all have to go to the restroom eventually. Eventually, so I went in there and I'd written yes in toothpaste on the mirror. And so he went in there. He didn't even see it at first. <laughs> That's a guy, right? He goes in there. He goes, wow, it really smells like toothpaste in here. <laughs> but then he saw it. And the rest is history. That is hilarious. Um, <laughs> that makes me laugh for some reason. Um, I was at... Um, I don't know. My, I think I was with you, actually. You were at our house. No, I, but we were in the car. And I was, she was driving. And all I remember is um, we were pulling up to my parents' house. And Steve was outside. with Steve did, um, for Vanguard, a group called the Delivery Boys. Vanguard University is where I went to college. And um, he traveled with four guys. And they did, like, skits and traveled to, like, different youth camps and stuff. Well, their first gig was here in town. And they were also with the entourage group, which was the girl group. So it was the four guys and the four girls, and all of them were outside of my house. And we come pulling up, and my mom, and we're in the car, and she's honking the horn, which is totally embarrassing me, because like these eight people from my school are outside my house. And I'm like, why are you honking? What is going on? She's like, hi, honking and like being obnoxious. And I'm like, simmer, like what the heck? Well, come to find out, she's signaling my dad, who was in the house, to come outside. So I get out of the car, and Steve's got flowers, and he's got that goofy grin that he gets. And he just kneels down right in the street right there and says a bunch of really nice stuff that I'm sure was really awesome, if I could remember. I know it had something to do with like, us being best friends and how he loves me and all that kind of stuff. And he proposed right there in the street in front of my parents' house. And then he left for four months. On the road. That was rude. But the proposal was sweet. When you were talking about me honking and waving, it reminded me when you were in junior high. Did it? Yeah, it did. We had this, we, it was a, kind of a swagger wagon, like Steve drives, but the side of it was dented in. It was not even anywhere near. It was like the Brady Bunch cool. wood That's paneled true. fake. Fake wood panel. Wood it panel. Was, it was the paper on this. The, what was it? You know, like shelf bad, paper. You guys. It was so bad. So she wanted me to, you know, so give bad. her a ride to school instead of taking the bus. So I said, sure. So I would get up early and I would take her. And then she'd go, you can park back here. Because she was embarrassed of our car. And I said, Rebecca. If I'm good enough to get up early and take you to school, I'm good enough to pull right up to that front door. And so she was humiliated by this car. And I said, look, I am not embarrassed by what God has provided. This is what God has provided for us. I'm proud of it, even though it wasn't the most It was favorite. ugly. It was ugly. But it's what God provided. So she got out it of the car. Noises. And, and she was walking away. And I started honking and waving, yelling, Becca, I'll see you after. 
after school, honey. I love you. She was mortified. You still let her take you to school, though, didn't you? Oh, she let me take her. Of I never said another word again Not about another that word car. About that I can wagon. guarantee you that. Yes. And it's some insight into who I am today. So there you go. It's Ooh. all your fault. <laughs> it always is the mother's fault, isn't it? They always blame you. Yes. All right, and with that, we're going to take another commercial break. We'll be right Please, back after take a these commercial. messages. <laughs> and now, back to the show. All right, ladies, just a few more questions, and then we'll be done. We have a question that is specifically for Pastor Becca. How can I explain to my 12-year-old daughter that she is special to God when you explain to her God would have died only for her and that she knows that he knows the hairs on her head. She says, well, he knows that of everyone, so what makes me special? How would you answer that? I know who this is. <laughs> I've already talked to this mom. But um, let me tell you, getting young girls to realize their worth in Christ is a huge passion of mine. And um, which is why I teach girls classes. Some of you know that. Um, uh, and right now I'm doing a junior high class where we're going through the book called Redefining Beautiful. And if you have young girls at home, I would recommend that you get that book and read it yourself and maybe even go through it with your daughter and when, when the class is offered, get them in that class. Um, it really is an incredible time. I have never heard that response before from a teenage daughter. She's very inquisitive, you can tell. She's, she thinks about things. Um, but you know, my response to her would be that God is a big enough God to care about all people. And how amazing is it that not only does he know the number of hairs on my head, but how many million billion other people. He's a God that cares about each and every single one of us the same. And sometimes those kind of um, spiritual things are hard for us to kind of grasp in human terms because we don't understand that. You know, we, we as humans kind of place people in ranks and God, everybody has the same level and he cares about each and every one of us in the same way. And he created your daughter to be a unique individual. And I would, that's what I would focus on, like her unique gifts, her unique talents, and that God gave those to her for a reason. And he created her to be that person. There is not another one of her. There's only one of her. And um, that's pretty special. The fact that he would care about her enough to create only one of her. There's no duplicate. And um, that's what I would focus on. And I would focus on just loving her through whatever it is that she's struggling with. It sounds like she may be struggling with some self-esteem issues, but I would focus on the positive in her and speak into her life every single day, the positive things that I see in my daughter. And um, even like I tell my girls, like, you know, get a, a dry erase marker and write on your mirror. And even if you as a mom, you go in their mirror, in their bathroom every single night and write on their mirror things and traits that are unique and special to them so that every morning they wake up and they see new items there, that's huge for them. And that speaks into their life right at the beginning of the day before they head out to school and face a bunch of crappy junior hires who are, junior high is rough, dude. I mean, it is rough. And put yourself back in that place of junior high. I have never 
felt so many insecurities like I did in junior high when we got into youth ministry again. I am not kidding you. I walked into that youth night for the first night and I thought, I am in junior high again. <laughs> like, I felt every insecurity, every uncomfortableness, like everything came flooding back and I was like, oh my word, I'm in junior high again. Are they like me? Did I wear the right clothes, my hair right? Like, it's ridiculous. The amount of pressure that these kids feel on a daily basis. So if they woke up every morning with a reminder of how special that they are, and even if they don't believe it, keep speaking into them. My mom used to do with us, anything negative we said about ourselves, she would write there on the spot, okay, five positives, because it takes five positives to counteract one negative. And I do it with the girls in the youth group. If they say something negative in front of me, I say five positives right now, go. And I do not, I will not let up until they tell me five positive things. So, you know, speaking that into their life on a daily basis, and it was super annoying when I was a teenager, BTW. That means by the way. For those of you not in youth ministry, LOL. Uh, <laughs> totes. Um, but you know what? It was, it, it, the relentless pouring in to my self-esteem was part of why I know my worth in Christ. And that is one of the biggest things you can pour into your kids' lives and into your daughter's lives and your son's lives. I have two boys and I really try to pour that into them as well. You know, just because they're not girls doesn't mean they don't need to hear how special they are and how unique they are and how awesome they are and how God has created them to be who they are. So I hope I answered that. Perfect. Okay. Thank you. Pastor Meg, question for you. What is the best way for you to share the love of Jesus with someone who wants nothing to do with religion? Um, for me, I like to do acts of service. Uh, we had a woman, we had a guy coming to church here and he got radically saved and he was a gambler and he started changing his life around and his wife was like, I want nothing to do with that. And um, so I asked him, like, well, what's the fa her favorite kind of pie? And he said, apple. So I made her an apple pie and took it over to her. Because really, just love, you know, that's what wins people. Standing out there with a sign that says Jesus loves you is not going to do it. Or you're going to hell if is not going to do it. And because I know what got me into God's kingdom I went to a home Bible study and I sat there and I was this smug 16 year old on the in crowd in high school. And there was like, I don't know, probably 30 of us in this home in a Bible study. And I sat there so smug going around the room. Oh, he's cute. She's not. He's this, he's that. And I just went around the room and labeled everybody. And God spoke to me. That was the first time God ever spoke to me. And God said, you have judged every person in this room yet they've only loved you with my love. I was the only non-Christian in the room. And that broke me. And so the best way to get somebody into the kingdom is love on them. Find out what they like and bless them. Give, buy them a Starbucks, just take it by. No expectations back, nothing else, just love on them. Thank you. Katrina, actually, we're gonna ask this question of all of you, and this will be our last question of the evening. In 30 seconds or less, how would you encourage the women who are here tonight? Yeah, I knew that. 
Ladies, I just want to tell you that God loves you. And I think you've heard that over and over tonight, that he loves you. He loves you just like you are. He made you just like you are. He knows every single thing about you and still he loves you and he wants you to be the best that you can be. He wants you to be who he created you to be. And he is just waiting. He's just waiting for you to run into his arms. Just run into his arms. You, you know, I have a picture. He's given me a picture in my mind before. I had a horrible, dirty robe on. All I had to do is just strip down to nothing and run right to his arms. And he will do amazing things for you. Be encouraged that he loves you. Thank you. Um, to add on to that, I would say um, don't be too harsh on yourself. Take baby steps. Because sometimes we look at somebody who is more mature in the Lord and we want to beat ourselves up because we're not where they are. But you're uniquely you. And where you've walked, other people haven't walked. And so just take those little steps at a time, but just keep on plugging on. Just keep on plugging on. Being open to God, asking Him to change you. Just keep on keeping on. Like Paul said, you know, I just... I just march on toward that prize. Just keep your eyes fixed on it and just keep going for it, baby steps at a time. Um, one of the reasons I'm so passionate about young girls realizing their worth in Christ is because I've seen the destructive path it causes when women are older and have not had that realization in their lives. And I want to speak into you now that you may need to know that you are worth it and that God thinks that you're worth it. He has created you to be special and unique. And some of you may need to do that mirror trick for yourselves and do that if that's what you need. You know, speak into your life and find somebody who will speak into your life because women who know their worth in Christ do not treat themselves like trash and they don't allow other people to treat themselves like trash because you're God's princess. We are the daughters of the king and we need to treat ourselves as such and we need to expect others to treat us as such. And so walk with that tonight. Know your worth in him and leave tonight knowing that you are worth everything that God paid for you, every price that he paid. And remember the price that he paid for you and treat yourself like that. So, Well, ladies, I want to thank you for coming out tonight. And I want to challenge you with something as we leave tonight. I'd like, you to, I'd like to challenge your prayer life that when you pray, that you would pray for these three women. Because... They are on the front lines of a battle. We all are there, but they're here to lead us. They are an open resource. So if you have any questions ever and you see them, sorry, I'm putting you on the spot, but if you, I just know for in my life, in my walk, since I've been a part of this church, all three of these ladies have had an open door that I could ask any question and that they would answer it. And so I wanna encourage you, number one, to pray for them because they are an amazing human beings who have a very, very hard job. And they are praying for you. So I wanna encourage you to do that. I also wanna encourage you to go to retreat. And I know it's, it's a broken record, but it's really a place where you're gonna find, if you feel like you're here and you just don't know anybody, when you go to retreat, when I went to retreat, I walked away with like 10 friends. I had no friends when I went. When you go to retreat, you're gonna see the Lord in a totally different way. And he's, he will connect with each one of you. So I wanna encourage you to do that. 
And at this moment, I just want to take a moment to pray, and then we'll be dismissed for the evening. And again, thank you so much for coming tonight. So dear Lord, you are truly amazing, and you are so powerful and wonderful. God, I thank you for every single question that was written. And it's, I know that we just ran out of time. We don't have enough time. But Lord, I want every woman to know that they are truly loved. And God, I just pray for our pastors. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to give them wisdom, that you would give them encouragement. And Lord, that you would bring to mind that we should encourage them too, that we need to be your hands and feet when it comes to encouragement for our pastors. So we love you, Lord. We thank you. And we ask that you just walk with us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So here's the deal. There were lots and lots of questions. So we obviously could not get through them, but the pastors have agreed that they will answer the questions on a blog. So what we're going to do is all the questions that did not get answered, I'm going to pass them over to them. They're going to answer the questions and just keep your eye on Facebook. And as soon as it's ready, we're going to post it to Facebook. Ladies, thank you so much for coming tonight. Have a great evening. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for your questions.